Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, we if they don't. Today is Monday, July 15, 2013, and this is episode 1166 of the Survival Podcast. I know what you're thinking, Jack is back from Montana, the show has returned. It hasn't. I'm still speaking to you from the past. When I actually looked at my schedule in Montana, I realized, holy crap, I'm gone for a long time, and I won't actually be back and ready to broadcast again until tomorrow, which means tomorrow there will not be a show. Maybe I'll do another posting for you guys like I did Thursday and Friday of past episodes I recommend, or you guys can use the random feature and listen to one of the almost 1,200 shows uh, using the random feature and find something you haven't. But today's cool. I, I realize that every once in a while I kind of forget that this show's been going for over five years, and there's certain things I expect the audience to know that uh, that maybe a lot of new members of the audience just haven't gone back and listened to all freaking, you know, 500 hours of programming and don't know. Um, like 12 Tenets of Modern Survivalism. But, I, you know, I don't want to do a show that's the 12 Tenets of Modern Survivalism over and over and over again where you're like, I could have just listened to the rerun of that, Jack. So what I want to do sometimes is reach back into the roots of the modern survivalist concept and pull it forward with new thoughts and ideas so that both the new person to the show can gain some of the fundamentals, but the person that's been here a long time can expand that. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to talk about the fundamental mentality of modern survivalism. This is going to be one that you guys might want to go, and you guys are free to do this at all times. You are free if you want to share what I do with a friend and you don't want them to have to sit through the introduction segment. Not, you're not selling it or repurposing it. You're just giving it to somebody. You can edit out the beginning of any show if you want somebody to just, or even just take, say, I want you to listen to this 20 minutes, right? That's free to do that. Those of you that want to make YouTube videos, as long as you cite my source and you don't mislead people or what have you, you can take segments of it and make YouTube videos. This might be one you want to do something like that with because I'm going to try to reach people today that are already here and tell them how to stop struggling so hard. And I'm going to try to reach people that aren't quite there yet, but they're ready to be there. And I'm going to help you understand that some people aren't ready. And not to be too evangelistic with preparedness to those that aren't ready to hear the truth yet. Before I do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. All the stuff you need to live that tactic cool lifestyle. Check them out today at sawtac.com. Remember, if you're a member of my support brigade, you do get a discount to everything that they sell on their website. Just go to your benefits section of the MSB before you order from Sawtooth. But it really is the tactical place, man. If you can think of it, they've got it. Magpul magazines, Maxpedition bags, everything in between. The awesome kick-ass titanium spork. Check them out today. Sawtac.com. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated in the Sawtooth wilderness of Idaho. Sawtac.com. Next up today, ready-made resources. Now, you know what? If you want to do business with a company, wouldn't it be great to do business with a company? You could just look at the name of the company and go, oh, I know what they do. And then when you did business, you found out they actually did what they said they did. Well, then ready-made resources is the prepper co company for you. All the resources you need, ready-made, ready to go, point, click, and buy on their website, sent to you with great pricing, lightning fast shipping, and great customer service. Real people that really care about you. You're not just a number to them. You're an actual customer. I know for a fact they actually look at every order that comes in. I know they all go across Robert's desk. And the reason I know that is because every time I order something, I always see like a handwritten note, right? Now, 
I know they're sponsors, so you might be like, well, big deal. But how would he know it's me if he wasn't going over every individual order individually and saying, oh, look, look, that's Jack, right? You know, because I don't put the survival podcast. I just order it to my name, to my, my receiver. That means that the owner of this company is actually looking at every order that comes in. Seriously, in this day and age, that's awesome. Check them out today, ReadyMade Resources, the company that says what they do and does what they say, ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up, remember, guys, uh, you guys need to be checking out WalkingToFreedom.com, 13skills.com, and TSPGear.com. Those are all ways you can interact with us at a higher level. 13skills.com, WalkingToFreedom.com, and tspgear.com. Last but not least, do consider joining that member support brigade I keep talking about. Do that, you get exclusive content available only to members, hundreds of dollars worth of free ebooks the day you sign up, discounts to over 40 vendors to support the show, 18.3 will often sense an episode, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, and prior service, and first responders like paramedics, EMTs, and firefighters. All of you qualify for a service discount. Just send me an email with service discount in the subject line. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did if you're a prior service. Take two to three sentences to do that maximum. I don't need your CV or your resume or your photocopied ID card or anything. Just give me a little bit on it. Again, prior service or active duty both qualify, but do that, please. Before you join the MSB, not after. If you do it after, I'll say you can do it on renewal because I know for a fact I've been doing it long enough. There should be nobody out there now who has already joined and didn't get the discount because they didn't, you know, because they didn't know. At this point, you should know. It even says so on the uh, page where you sign up. All right. So with that knocked out, let's go ahead and get into today's topic. I am really jazzed about this. Um, I do feel like on some levels I'm almost putting myself back into that 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI that I used to broadcast from with that, uh, you know, that $30 Plantronics recorder. Or that like piece of crap recorder I did the first five or six episodes with. For those that are new to the show, you don't know that that's how I started this show, right? I would get in my car every day and I would drive in that intense, crazy Dallas-Fort Worth traffic in and out, in and out, ass clowns everywhere, and just go, ah, and I would put talk radio on and I would listen to somebody like Glenn Beck or somebody else and just go, you don't know, what are you talking about? And once in a while, I'd go, well, that was a good point. And I would end up either agreeing with or disagreeing with what was on the radio but yelling at the radio, and nobody listens to me when I yell at the radio. No one can hear me. And then I started realizing like 80% of the time it seemed like I was listening to freaking commercials. You know, they didn't have the good decency to do, you know, their two sponsored spots in 60 seconds each, the beginning of their show, and then just go on like I do. They they put those stupid commercials on all the time, and it was worse because I would change the freaking radio station and listen to a different person, and they all seemed to synchronize their commercials at the same dadgone time. It was like a conspiracy, a real one. And I began thinking to myself, you know, there's a better way, and I had started this walk back towards self-sufficiency already at that point. And along came a customer of my web development company that wanted a podcast, We could do the site. My guy didn't know how to do a podcast and integrate the feed and all that. So I did one, a few episodes of this show, just to figure out how to make a podcast. And I would get home after doing a couple episodes of the show in the car, and I would feel better. I felt like it was making a difference. At the end of that first week, about five people were listening. About the end of the first month, it was like 40 or 50 people were listening to this madman on the highway, screaming at ass clowns and telling America to wake up. And at that time, screaming, the financial... Recession is coming, protect your money, and here's how to start putting your life in order. That evolved into this show. 
I tell you that story today because, one, I am going to go back into some of the fundamentals that formed the entire community and the entire philosophy today, and I'm going to evolve that with new thoughts and new ways to look at this. But I also tell you that if you're new or somebody shared this with you because this is what I want you to understand. Today this show gets 75,000 or more downloads a day. It was all built starting out with a cheap headset, a cheap recorder, and a guy in a car. That's not how great I am because I'm not that great. I'm just a guy that's here trying to help people, trying to help you. It's a testament that the fundamentals of what we're doing work. See, I don't look at building the survival podcast as a testament to my ability. I look at it as a testament to reality. What I mean by that is if you had to start a fire, there's a lot of ways to start a fire, but there's a lot of wrong ways and only a few right ways unless you have like a blowtorch or something like that. I, I started a fire for everybody this 4th of July. I threw a bunch of big chunks of cedar in there and took a blowtorch to it. And guess what? I didn't need to do what I'm about to explain. It burned because I had enough firepower to make it happen. But in general, if I got a match or a lighter, I need a little bit of tinder. And I need then I need a little bit of kindling, and then I need a little bit bigger, and then I get that going, and then I'll add wood to it. And if I respect the way a fire works and do the right things, it will grow into a raging fire. And I can put logs on it then as big as my thigh, and they will burn as long as they're dry, and I will have this huge fire. That's not because I'm a genius and know how to make a fire. It's because a fire has fundamentals that it needs with fuel and oxygen. And you can only do so much at once with it. It needs the right kind of fuel. And if you put everything together the right way, you'll get a fire. I think the survival podcast grew because I built it the right way. I put the right fundamentals in it. And those are the fundamentals we're going to talk about today. As I begin, though, I want to tell you that there's a lot of people out there that you know, want to say I'm a prepper, I'm a homesteader, whatever it is, but they don't want to be called a survivalist. And I built this right from the beginning, calling it the Survival Podcast and with modern survival philosophy. And when people say, well, you're a survivalist, I say, I'm a modern survivalist. And then people go, what does that mean? And people get me on this survival thing. It's all crazy. It's the media that said that you're nuts and you have a tinfoil hat and you believe every conspiracy theory under the thun and sun and you're ready to fight the government and all this other crazy crap and none of it's true. So I'd like to start out today with telling you why you're a survivalist. And everybody you know is a survivalist. And we just won't admit that we're survivalists because they have screwed up the word and made it mean something it doesn't. So I want to... Break down the world survivalist today as we, as we lead off. Survival. This is the Webster's Dictionary definition of survival. The state or fact of continuing to live or exist, typically in spite of an accident ordeal or difficult, difficult circumstances. So if you, uh, well, let's go on to the next part before we, we do that. I just want to ask you right now, do you want to continue to live or exist or not? I'll let it go there. The next part of survivalist is the suff suffix ist, I-S-T, right? I feel like I'm teaching English Grammar 101 here, but seriously, the suffix ist, right, I-S-T. The suffix means, that suffix means as follows. One that performs specified action or a specified action. So if you are a specialist, you perform a specialized action. That makes you a specialist, right? Okay. If you are a, an economist, you perform spe spe specific actions relating to economic output or economic uh, analysis, right? So anything with an ist on it is a specialist in a particular area, right? So if you are a survivalist, you are one that performs in a way 
that they will continue to live in spite of an accident ordeal or difficult circumstances. That's what it means to be a survivalist. That sounds like most people I know, even if the typical sheeple out there today are ignoring a lot of the risks, most people when faced directly head on with them, if the normalcy bias isn't too much, will get out of the way of the speeding car, jump back if the snake tries to bite them, okay? You got it? They will try to stay alive. If you drop them off in the middle of nowhere, they'll try to figure out where they are, and whether successful or not, will make some attempt to save themselves. So we're all survivalists. Back in 2008, when I was that crazy guy in that jet, screaming at ass clowns, weaving in and out of traffic, podcasting in the middle of hailstorms for you guys, because I felt the show must go on, and I, I knew I was building something special then, um, I coined a term right off the bat. I wanted something that I could put out there that no one could ever claim to have originated. So I started thinking about this, and I thought, modern survivalist. And I went, that's too simple. I can't be the first person to come up with that. And it's all over the Internet today. But what I did is, knowing how to use Google, I put modern survivalist in quotes in Google and found exactly zero results. And I said, that's my thing, and it's perfect. And that's what I'm going to go forward with. So since I coined it, I get to define it because I was the first one to, to at least formally, I'm sure somebody said it in a thing, and I'm not trademarking it, telling you you can't use it, Derveas family. You guys can look that up if you care, right? I'm just saying that as far as I know, I was the first one to put it out there. Therefore, I get to put a definition behind it. I define a modern survivalist as a human being who, living in modern times, is aware of both the risks and resources available to us in the current era who then utilizes said knowledge for the purpose of continuing to live well despite accidents, ordeals, or difficult circumstances. That sounds like something that should be a virtue in America today, to have that attitude. I will use all the resources that are available in modern times. I Yeah, I might know how to do a friction fire, but I'll understand that I can start a fire with a 9-volt battery and a piece of steel wool if I have to. I will not turn away from computers and the internet and electricity and cars just because they could fail at some point because they're here now and there's many valuable things I can do. I will take all of modern uh, technology and all of modern resources in abundance and I will use them to further my goal. But I will not be blind to the risks that modern society poses as well. The economic system, the extreme mobility of human beings and how that impacts pandemic in a way that wasn't true a couple hundred years ago when pandemics were still a problem. And now they would be a bigger problem. But there's more medicine today. So I will see both the good and the bad of modern times. And I will utilize my knowledge of them and my understanding and control of the resources to make sure my life is better if times are bad or if times are good. And I sum that up. Once I figured that out, And it was like a couple episodes into it. I still had the really crappy recorder. Live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. That's the fundamental mindset we're working on today. And I'm going to give you a list of steps and things to do today and ways to think, right? I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm going to tell you how to think, and then you apply that for your own personal gain. See, this is a difference today to me from alternative media and mainstream media. Mainstream media proposes to know the question you have before you've asked it and tells you how to think about the answer and what the answer is and what you're supposed to accept as the answer before you've even asked the question. Alternative media, which is what I do, supposes that you're more interested in taking the information that you want your way, dissecting it, gathering your own information, and coming to your own conclusions. And I'm here to support and facilitate that 
versus telling you what to think. So I'm going to tell you how to think, the tactical concepts of how to think, and you apply them as you see fit in your life based on your needs because you are a unique individual. And no, not what works for me will work for you because you have different risk tolerance. You're a different financial place in life. You live in a different place. You have different dreams, hopes, aspirations, and fears. And my one-size-fits-all plan can't work. So I don't have one. So everything I do is about the individual being able to tailor their needs their way and their plan their way. So the first thing that you have got to do if you're going to awaken to this, and I'm talking today about awakening and empowerment as a modern survivalist. And many of you are already there. You wouldn't be listening. But some of you may have had this shared with you. And you may be like, I don't know about this. So hold on. First thing you have to do, and you won't like this, except that there are many things to fear in our future. There are. And the next tenant is, or the next component is going to make this a lot better for you. So give me a minute to give you just a few things you need to worry about. Our economy is absolutely unsustainable under its current paradigm. It cannot continue. We owe almost $17 trillion worth of debt right now, and we have unfunded liabilities over $120 trillion. That means that every taxpayer is on the hook to pay a bill of $1.1 million. Most of us don't have $1.1 million to pay that bill, which means at some point we are going to get to a, a status in life where that bill cannot be paid, and people will not be willing to just keep loaning us money, and we will only be able to print money to a certain point where we devalue the money. And no, the world will not end. It will not turn into Mad Max. The uh, buildings will not melt. Uh, you know, Electric racers will not attack us. But what will happen is the people in power will have to do a currency revaluation. They'll have to hit a reset button. They'll have to change the dynamics of how the money is created. This has been done before. It will be done again. And it will create a massive shift. And it will destroy the wealth of millions of Americans. And actually, the more you have, the more you're likely to have to lose. The people that are the poorest in that economically may not do as bad as those who think of themselves as upper middle class. There'll be other things that'll cause problems for the people with limited resources, but it may not be as simple as a lot of people think. I have, I have lots, therefore I'll still have some, therefore I'll be okay. If you're supporting a lifestyle that that shift destroys the ability to continue to support you can end up a lot worse off than someone that looks worse off than you now. That's one thing to fear. Your retirement is something to fear not being there for you. Social Security, the Federal Reserve Chairman said, and I quote, we can guarantee the money will be there. We can't guarantee the money's value. Testifying on the floor of Congress when questioned by Congressman Ron Paul. So basically what that statement was is if you are supposed to get 2200 bucks, the government's going to guarantee you you can get it, but it might not buy anything at the point you can get the $2,200. Of course, if they revalue the currency, then they really can't guarantee that at that point. All right? These are high-level concepts. I just want to say that's one thing you have to worry about. Um, if you've turned your TV on any time in the last couple of years, you've seen these things called hurricanes and tornadoes. So there's natural disasters. There's forest fires and flooding going on right now, flooding in Canada, forest fires in the middle of the United States, Colorado, etc. There's droughts going on right here in Texas. It's been a long time since there's been any rain. And that drives up the price of food. That, could, that creates food shortages. There's places where it's not so bad this year. But, you know, there's just those years where it all lines up and it all happens at the same time. Right now there's a war about to break out, a coup d'etat-style war in Egypt. It's going to drive the It's already driven the price of oil up hugely. And this is pretty much like the good times. 
You know, the crisis is behind us. The green shoots of the economy are becoming trees, etc. The future holds a lot of dangers. So let me move into the next step here for you today. These steps aren't necessarily in order, but these first two are. Immediately recognize fear as having only one use, awakening. The only use that fear has is to awaken you to a risk so that you can respond to it. Once it's done that, it's done its job and it must be vanquished. It must Not ignored, vanquished. Let me explain the difference. You realize that a car is about to run you over. Your fear has awakened you to the impending doom of a car. Vanquishing the fear means I know what to do now. You get the hell out of the way the car goes speeding past and you're alive. You might even end up in a ditch with some thorns in your arm, but you're alive. You vanquish the fear. Okay. Ignoring the fear would be, oh, it's coming. I see it. I can't accept that. Therefore, I'll stand here and you're dead. Okay. So vanquishing fear is about understanding there's actions you can take to mitigate the fear and to realize that in many of these situations, like the economy, Yes, the car is barreling at you 180 miles an hour. It's also about 180 miles away. You have a long time to prepare for it to pass by. And there's a lot of things you can do in the meantime to metaphorically get out of the way of the car. So all of these things that awaken you and put fear in your heart must be immediately understood, conceptualized, and you must start planning for how to mitigate them and try to do so in a way where the mitigation of one fear actually addresses a lot of other fears. So with modern survivalism, one thing we are going to do is eat what we store and store what we eat with food. We're not going to worry about going to some company that sells pallets full of food, at least not initially, unless we decide we want to go there ourselves. Initially, we're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to throw a book on top of my table. Every day that we eat something, I'm going to write down what it is. I'm going to figure out everything my family eats anyway. Maybe I'll make some health adjustments down the road, but I just want to get you started today. So I'm not going to ask you to change your habits yet. But let's look at everything there that's storable and start buying two or three instead of one of those items when you go to the store until you build up six or eight of them and then go to do it with a different item and do it with a, and just build a deep pantry. And then start looking at some of the things you use in a fresh state only and figure out is there a substitute for them that's storable. So milk, if a lot of your milk gets used in cooking, canned or dried milk are fine for that. doesn't make the best drinking milk, but it's, but it's okay. Canned milk is actually pretty decent when you use it to cream coffee. So you can start to take eggs. You can get egg powder. And that doesn't mean you're using egg powder every day, but it's there when you open the refrigerator and the eggs are either old and don't smell right or you just forgot to get some. So we build up 30 to 60 days worth of food, and that is in case... Let's say there's an economic collapse, and we can't really afford to buy food, and we have to figure out what to do in the meantime. At least everybody's going to eat for a couple months. All right? What if your you know, spouse, significant other, loses a job? Still works. It's called commonality of disaster. So what we have to start doing is realizing that we don't prepare for the coronal mass ejection from the sun, the economic collapse, or the pandemic, or any of the crap that Hollywood tells you that you're supposed to prepare for when you freak about, out about that one thing. We prepare to deal with our systems of support, and that allows us to recognize that fear has only one use, wake us up, and then, okay, you've done your job, fear, get over there, go away, goodbye, I don't need you anymore. You know, you want to you want to point out something to me in the future, that's fine. But I get this one, I've got it, and I'm going to start working on it. And I'm going to try to do it in a way when fear comes back and goes, hey, what about this? I'll go, oh, but see, that's connected to this, this, and this, and all I have to add is that, right? Very, very rational, calm, empowered state survivalism is. 
It's not a fear-based, paranoia, tinfoil hat, crazy nut job living in a bunker. That is Hollywood. It's not real. There's actually very few of those people that even exist. And there's millions of people like me. It's scary. Is that my Peter sum? <laughs> okay, next one. You vanquish the fear with knowledge and action. You've recognized that fear has only one use to awaken. Now, you have to start taking action. So what we're going to do is prioritize based on the order of probability and the cost of doing so. So, how much does it cost to get a notebook and start writing down the food that you eat so that you can start planning your grocery shopping to be more efficient? Very little to nothing. You can probably find a pen and a paper laying around to do that with. You don't have to go out and buy a special food journal, though it might not be a bad step considering you can buy one of those little notebooks for like a quarter and it can be dedicated to that. But it's very inexpensive and very easy to do. Therefore, it should be very high on your prioritized list. How much expense does it take to buy a generator? Quite a bit. Therefore, it might go further down your list as you figure out how to put your household in order. But what are the odds that your power will go out? At some point, fairly high. What are the consequences of that? Where do you live and for how long might the power be out? You know, two weeks in the wintertime during an ice storm is a lot worse than, uh, let's say, one day in the fall when the weather's pretty nice. You don't have to worry about your freezer and refrigerator then. Throw a couple blankets on it and wait it out. It'll be fine. All the food will be good within a day if it's back on. So you have to start analyzing these things. And you do a lot of this based on cost and time. Okay, There's a lot of things you can do that costs nothing and take very little time. One is you could put together a documentation package. Everybody you would need to contact, everywhere that you would go, maps of how to get there. My 12 tenets of modern survival philosophy go into this deeply. There's a link in today's show notes so you can, you can get into that and, and watch the whole thing or listen to the whole thing depending on what you want to do. It's on video and audio both. But those that doesn't cost any money. Buying a couple extra things every week at the supermarket costs a little bit of extra money, but it's it's in it's the same way as this. If I gave you a 75 cent raise at work, and I even did it in a magical way where you actually got a dollar, so you realize 75 cents because you got it in a, that's what you got after taxes. You got 75 cents an hour uh, more pay. If you're living your life without really balancing your budget and itemizing everything and really putting all the money in different buckets the way most Americans don't, um, then you probably wouldn't even notice that raise within a week. It would just, like, the number's bigger on the check, but it doesn't really seem to help you out. Well, if I took 75 cents away, assuming you're not living on the knife's edge, it would do the same thing. You wouldn't really notice it. And that means that we could take something like 75 cents a week And we could put it toward basic preparedness and start out with our food supply since it's fundamental and we need it every day. And that would add to our budget of availability to buy foods with a whopping total of $30 a week. $30 a week buying non-perishable goods that you eat anyway, you'll probably find goes pretty far. I mean, that is $120 a month, you realize this. Okay, so that would start to actually build up really, really fast with a very, very small sacrifice, so to speak. And maybe for you it's 20 bucks, right? Maybe it's 10. 10 actually, you know, look at the price of canned goods. Couple, three here, each week of shopping, start to build that up. Also, you'll start to see the need to go shopping weekly will become bi-weekly. Long term, it might become monthly, all right? But this is an easy thing to do, so it goes high on the priority list. Saving soda bottles, two-liter soda bottles, or like the, the, the gallon jugs that like Arizona iced tea comes in, high-quality, good plastic jugs, that you either already use, or if you don't use them, asking a friend who uses them, because I don't drink soda or Arizona iced tea, but I love the Arizona iced tea jugs to store water in, and just saying, hey, instead of throwing those out, could I have them? 
and they give them to you, and then you fill them up with water, and then you put away 30 or 40 gallons of water in your home that's always there without going out and buying expensive water, cheap, you know, water in cheap bottles. You have this big, heavy, rugged stuff, and maybe you put, if you have a deep freezer, you put about five or six of them in there. That becomes basically a battery because it keeps your freezer cold for longer if the power goes out. Plus, it is water that could be defrosted. Plus, you've got another 30 or 40 gallons of water located in different places throughout your home and in your garage. That water's always there if something happens to the water supply. Cheap, as in no cost at all. Easy, as in turn the faucet on. Now, long term, you might want a water filter. I use a Berkey. But initially, there's nothing to stop you from doing what I just said. These are all things that are easy. There's a lot of things you might want to do, like eventually get to six months' worth of food storage. That's a little bit more expensive and a little bit more complicated and requires a little bit more planning. But 30 days is on the way to six months, so let's do it the easy way first. Let's get these things done. Let's know where we would go if somebody came to your house and said, I want you guys to get out of here. You have to evacuate. By the way, I'm from the government. You don't have a choice. Get out. Get out. There's a danger. Leave now. It can happen. It happens to people all the time. You know, what would you take with you? What, making sure you have all your expensive items documented. That's pick up your smartphone and start documenting them. Make a list. Put it somewhere in the cloud, you know. Put it on Google Documents thing or something like that so it's always there. And that way it's backed up. That's free. That's easy. That's basic preparedness. Your house burns down. You tell the insurance company, this is all the stuff I lost. And they go, we don't believe you had that much. Here's pictures of everything. Here's the value of it. See, this is all free, right? A bug out bag. That's if you do have to leave, what are you going to take with you? Okay, most of you don't need to go out and buy a bunch of tactical crap to put together the basics of a bug out bag. You might want to add to and enhance it down the road, but you can probably find three days worth of clothing that's decent clothing that you don't really wear very often anymore, good, comfortable, rugged clothing, and put it in a bag. All right, like an old gym bag. You don't have to go out and get a tactical bag. Again, you might want to do that at some point, but we can get that done for every member of the family today at no cost whatsoever. Now we want some food and water in there. Well, we can get some good, solid water bottles, smaller ones that we know are not going to rupture on us. And we put a few bottles of water in each one. We're not going to put that much water in a bug-out bag anyway. Water's heavy, but there'd be some there. Then we need food. Well, we can go out and get, you know, Mountain House and specialized food, or we can just say, hey, here's some stuff that we use all the time, that has a long shelf life, we're going to put that in everybody's bag, and we can probably harvest that out of the pantry, make some room for some long-term storage stuff. Once a year, we can go in that bag, we can pull stuff out of there and go, we're going to go ahead and eat this beef jerky, eat these nuts, whatever, and replace them with new stuff. All right, It's all free or very, very cheap, and it's all common sense preparedness. So we're going to prioritize, and I could go on and on for hours like this, but there's so many things you could do. Get every flashlight extra set of batteries, et cetera, in your home and put together like two different kits with all the stuff in it. Two different kits so they're in two different parts of the house. Okay? So your candles, your lighters, call it a blackout cat kit. Spread it in half and build two. So when the power goes out and you're upstairs because you have a two-story house and it's dark as hell and you forgot to keep your little carry light with you, you have something close by without going down the dark stairs. Okay? Then maybe we can go, okay, we've done that. Now let's put in some... Backup lighting in the house. It doesn't have to be expensive. We can go out and get these little night light style lights that have a battery in them. Plug them into a few different places in the house. If the power goes out, the battery immediately turns them on because it knows there's no power there. And they're not the greatest thing in the world, but at least we can see so we can get to our blackout kit. That's $15, $20 bucks to put them in two or three, four places in the house. You see? Prioritize. Do all the easy stuff first. Planting a garden. Great. 
big garden that's going to provide you know, 25-30% of your vegetables and fruits. Great goal long term. Start out with a 4x4 raised bed. Get something in the ground. Start learning how it works. All right, so it's all about prioritization. And then the next thing you need to do, and this is really, again, this is not in order. These are all things that are almost equally important as far as the way to think and be happy while you're doing this. This next one, it is so important that you do this or you're not going to be happy, except that others don't want to know what you know yet. There will be people in your life that you love, that you care for, that you really want to share this with, and when you start talking about it, they're going to put their fingers in their ears and they're going to go, la, 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 metaphorically. They're going to, I don't want to hear this. I can't accept this. This is not real. You're crazy. The people on TV said you're crazy. Oh, you're like, let it go. Let it go. You cannot force this on anybody. If somebody shared this with you, they're trying to do that. They're trying to say, look, here's some information. You may want to take it and internalize it and do something with it. You may not, but I'm not going to push it on you. I'm just success, success, suggesting that maybe, maybe, that just living life happy-go-lucky with no concept of what you would do if anything gets in the way is not a good way to live. And as soon as you start to uncover that reality, you realize how many things there are that could disrupt your life. And what this person that shared this with you is saying, I don't want that for you. I want you to have whatever you want. Okay? That's why I do this show. I don't do this so I can tell you how to do the things my way. I want you to have what you want, but I want you to be able to keep it even if something goes wrong. And that means putting in systems of redundancy and self-reliance and self-sufficiency because when something goes wrong, not if, when something goes wrong in your life, you'll be better able to cope with it. We will all have things go wrong in our lives. For some of us, our house will burn down. For some of us, our, our employment will be terminated. For some of us, our wealth will evaporate. And for some of us, it'll be much less uh, severe. It'll be much more mundane. But all of these things, if you really want to stay on track living your life your way, you have to have systems in place to deal with things when, not if, they go wrong. Because things will go wrong in your life. Um, so accept that others may not be ready for that yet. Just give them a little bit and walk. And they're actually going to be more interested if you don't push. Next, define your dreams. I have not turned into Tony Robbins. Um, I'm not changing tactics here. I'm telling you absolute God-honest truth. If you want to live your life your way under your circumstances, under your control, and be self-reliant and self-sufficient and a survivalist in your life, you have to know what the hell you're working for. It doesn't do you any good because I guarantee you, you know what you're not working for? You're not working in your heart of hearts so that next week you can pay your mortgage payment and keep the job that you hate. That's not what you're really working for. You might have been lulled to sleep and believe that's what you're really doing. I just gotta do it. You gotta be, you know, you're like Eeyore from freaking, uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh. It'll never work. I just gotta keep doing That's not gonna work. That's what's never gonna work is that attitude. The attitude needs to be, I see myself in five years this way, ten years this way, fifteen years this way, twenty years this way. And damn it, no one, no one, no one, and nothing is going to get in my way of getting to that place. And if something does, I will dismantle it, I will disassemble it, I will blow it the hell up. I am going to where I want to be, but to do that, you got to know where you're going first. You have to define your dreams. That doesn't mean they won't change. That won't, doesn't mean you'll attain something you thought was important and go, that's eh, really not what I wanted, now I'm going to adjust, that's fine. But you have to have a destination. A map in life is like a map on the street. 
There's three things I need to know for the map to be effective. One, how to read the map. I got to know how to read it. I got to know which way is north and south and east and west. Scale. So I don't think, well, let's right over there, but by the scale, that's like a thousand miles away. That one. So I got to know how to read the map. Number two, I got to know where I'm at on the map, and I got to know where I'm going to on the map. If I miss any of those three pieces of information, I can't navigate. In life, your dreams are where you're going. And your realistic assessment of where you are now, not bullshitting yourself, not lying to yourself, saying, if anything happens, we'll be fine. Not lying and being honest about your current state is where you are. How to read the map? The good news is you're hardwired to do that. As soon as you'll be honest about where you want to be and where you are, your mind already knows how to read that map. Your mind will begin to assemble a path to get you right there. And if you do it with a modern survival mindset along the way, you'll do it in such a way that if something knocks you off the path, and it will, you can get back on it very, very quickly. As opposed to what happens to most people in life. When they get knocked off a path, it's a five-year journey back to the path. And sometimes they never get back there. Sometimes the athlete ends up obese in those five years because they got knocked off the path and they had no plan to get back on. And that's just one example. So that is why it's important to define your dreams. And that's the kind of reality that if you're new to this show, somebody shared with you. They want you to be able to define your own dreams. Not hide the bunker. Got it? All right. Next, build value in both your portfolio and your life. There's so many Americans out there today that are so focused on building value in the stock market, their investments, their 401k, buying gold, buying silver, whatever it is, building wealth in true uh, you know, numbers quantities. And that's not unimportant. That's why I don't want you in debt. That's why one of your one of my tenants in the 12-part philosophy you should listen to if you haven't already, or maybe listen to again if it's been a while, especially after this one, is eliminating debt. Right? So it's not like that's not important. But if you're not building value in your life at the same time, you're going to end up wealthy and miserable. They say money can't buy happiness. It's both true and untrue. If you know what the hell you want, money can buy a shit ton of happiness. If you don't know what you want, money will buy you misery because you will spend it on things you don't want because you think you do because you haven't defined what you really want yet. It sounds like double talk, and I know if you don't have a lot of money right now, you're thinking, that can't be true. But how else do you explain rich, miserable people? If you've never heard of this tenant or this concept, I'd like to introduce you to it today. It's called Occam's Razor. And Occam's Razor is simply that When you eliminate everything else, the most simple explanation is usually accurate, even if it's not probable. If it's the most simple explanation, we've eliminated all others, even if it doesn't seem probable, as long as it's possible, the simple explanation is probably right. So when you look at a rich, miserable person, you can say, well, maybe they were just miserable always. You can usually find a picture of them smiling as a child. You know, Maybe they're just a prick. You usually find something good they've done for somebody. Well, maybe maybe they don't have as much money as I think they do, but you can find people worth millions that are miserable. Well, maybe everybody in their life hates them, and you'll find many people who everybody in their life loves them and thinks they're wonderful. Maybe they're sick, and you find out they're well. And you just go through it with so many people you can do this with and go, I can't really find any reason for this person to be miserable, and on top of this, they're wealthy. They don't know what the hell they want, so they're purchasing misery. And let me tell you something. You can be dead broke and be purchasing misery. That's just reality. So you have to be building value in your life. That's why I spend so much time on gardening. 
That's why I spend time on skill set development. That's why I say educate yourself. That's why I say don't let anybody define your questions for you. Define your own questions. Seek your own answers. That's why I say all these things, because this builds quality of life. If you are in a soul-sucking job, do not quit tomorrow morning when you go to work. Don't just walk in and go, I quit. Unless you really know what you're doing, okay, and you know you're going to be okay. But, but find a path to be able to quit as, as soon as possible. If you are in a place where your soul is being sucked, you are a terrible wife or a husband. You are a terrible father. You might think, no, I'm not. This guy's a jerk. I was with him till now. Well, I don't mean that you are really a bad father or a real bad husband. Let me ask you a question. If you love your wife or husband, depending on what sex you are, if you love your wife or husband, and you could be better, you could be better for them, and you choose not to be, how do you feel about that? You could be better for them. You could be better for them, your children, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your community. You could be better for everybody, including yourself, and you choose not to be. That's what people in soul-sucking situations are doing. And you think, well, I can't find another job. Did you look? Have you sought that yet? Well, I haven't found one yet, but I'm looking. Great, no problem. No problem. Keep looking. Keep looking, you'll find it. As long as you're on the path, you'll find it. But if you just sit there and accept it, everything you hate will increase in your life over time if you're in a soul-sucking situation. Well, I'm paid really, really well, and I provide my family a great life. Excellent. Figure out how to keep doing that and getting away from the soul-sucking. I'm not sure how. Great. Ask the question. Ask the question. Ask yourself every day. You'll find the answers. You can be rich or poor and either way still be happy or miserable. Money's not evil. I'm not saying it is. I like money. I like the fact that I earn a living doing what I do now. I'm very grateful to everybody in this audience that's helped me get here. Thank you. But I'm more worried about the quality of my life than the numbers in my bank account. And if you don't do that, and we are hit with catechism, what's left? If you're defining yourself on your car and your home and the activities your children participate in and the straight A's on the report card, and that's it. Like manicured lawn, etc. If you're defining yourself on that, what happens when somebody takes them from you? If you are defining yourself as a member of your community, a good citizen of this republic, and in spite of the fact that others have trashed it, knowing that the, the remnant's still there, and it's up to you to stand up and be that citizen. If you're defining yourself on a person that can get, as a person that can get things done, and a person that's happy and joyful in their life and will help others every chance they get. And somebody takes your house, you figure out how to get a new house, and you move on. And you don't lose that which has defined you. Because what's defined you is real. And if you want to be a modern survivalist, you must define yourself based on reality, not somebody else's fiction that's been sold to you as the American dream. Because that American dream is a lie and a nightmare. You could have all those things, but only at first you've defined yourself as an individual and solidified those things so that if they're taken, if you're pushed off the path, you can get back on. Um, next thing, except you're never going to be fully prepared. Uh, people that you know say, well, how prepared are you? I don't know. I really don't. 
I don't, I'll find out if I have to run into it. I know that I'm as prepared as I can be under the current circumstances at this point in my walk. That's it. I'm okay with that. And I'm always working to be a little bit more prepared, to be a little bit more uh, able to stand in the face of a disaster or a storm. And I know there's places where I'll always be weakest because of the places where, as a human being, I'm weakest. And that's why I rely on my wife and my community to shore up those weaknesses and to be strong for them where I'm strong and for them to be strong for me where I'm weak. That's how this whole country used to run. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you want it back, no one's going to give it to you. No president's going to rise up and say the right words and set up a dream and restore this nation to what it was. Only you can. One family, one backyard, one neighborhood at a time. And you have to accept you'll never be fully prepared for that to happen. Because until you do, you'll refuse to be self-reliant and yet community-reliant at the same time. The old saying, no man is an island, could not be more true. The rugged individualist survivalist that says, I don't need anybody, I'll live on tree bark, will be dead. Will be dead in a true breakdown very, very quickly. Unless they retreat far enough away and live like a hermit already. The person that's not going to make it. And if they do, they're going to be miserable. And gee, when everything gets put back together, they may be the person that's a target of the people that they victimized during that period of time. It's only by being an integrated community again that we can restore this nation to self-reliance. We are self-reliant through our interdependence with those in our community. Self-reliance and self-sufficiency are things that are only done in parts, pieces, and percentages. We're self-reliant for a time. If I have enough batteries to provide light for myself for 10 days, I have 10 days of self-reliance. If I have enough solar panels to provide 20% of the electrical needs that I have, I'm 20% self-sufficient. Never be 100% self-reliant or self-sufficient as an individual. But we can get very, very close as a community by working with and for each other. And that restoration can only come when you accept that you'll never be fully prepared. As long as you believe you will, you'll think, I don't need anybody. And you'll be an isolationist. And let me tell you something about misery and isolationism. They go together. That's why even when you're in a penitentiary and there's people there that might want to beat you or kill you or stab you or steal from you, it's still a punishment to be put in a room by yourself. Because isolation and misery go hand in hand. So by accepting that you'll never be fully prepared, you will acknowledge the need for others and you will not be an isolationist. And that way you can start building quality in your life and your community. The next thing I want you to think about is embracing the life of your grandparents, but add modern technology to it. Imagine your grandparents in the 1920s and 30s during the Depression, dealing with all the crap they did with, having the homestead, having the wherewithal, the strength, the fortitude, the knowledge, plus an iPhone, plus the Internet. Gee, my peas aren't growing right this year. I've talked to Tom and Bill, who've lived here their whole life, and their peas aren't growing right either. And there's this certain thing none of us recognize. Imagine if your grandparents had Google. You see what I mean? I'm lost. I'm using my compass and my map, but I still don't know where I'm going. Turn the freaking GPS on. Don't abandon this modern technology, but don't abandon the wisdom of our, of our ancestors. You know, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, they knew how to do things. They knew how to get by. And they lived in these tight-knit communities. And they took care of each other. And they looked after each other. And if you did something to a neighbor, you better watch out. Because all the other neighbors were standing behind you all and going, excuse me, 
What are you doing here? This is how America used to be. Take modern technology, modern convenience, modern knowledge, and put it together with that, and we can once again rise as the greatest nation on planet Earth. We can. We're a long way from there. Don't believe the blind patriotic bullshit they sell you, folks. We have fallen from what we were destined to become, and it's up to each one of us to put it back. And we can do that without throwing away the modern conveniences and modern technology. That's where the modern and modern survivalism comes from, at least half of it. The next thing is never allow another person to define your questions for you ever again. Do you know that the news does that? The news tells you what you're interested in every day. You come home, you turn on the news, and there's the talking heads, <laughs> and there's the idiots and the freaking dumbasses that are telling you what to think. Because a bunch of people, thousands of miles away from those dumbasses, sat down in a boardroom and decided what America needed to be told they were thinking today, and needed to be told what their questions were today, and needed the answer served up on a silver platter. Most of the news... Except the very local stuff that even comes from your local channel comes from one giant conglomerate globally. They've decided that you need to hear things the way that they're presented for you. They are defining your questions for you. Man, it's one thing when someone gives you an answer. It's another thing when somebody gives you the question before you ask it, then gives you the answer and tells you to shut up and conform or you don't belong in society. That's what's going on today. No, you need to define your own questions. Turn the freaking news off once in a while. If something really bad happens, you'll find out about it. Someone will tell you. It'll be on Facebook if it really matters. So stay on Facebook with your friends. Don't completely unplug. And if you don't like Facebook, don't do it. I don't want to hear anybody whine in this show and say, Facebook is stupid. Okay, don't listen to Facebook. Leave me alone then. For the rest of us, Facebook is a great way to stay in touch with each other. It's a great way for me to interact with my audience. And when something really goes bad, I'll find out about it there. If the people that I care about, right, don't really care about it, I probably won't care about either, and therefore it's occupying useless space in my mind. Right? And it's much easier to, believe it or not, with all the crap on Facebook, it's much easier for me to filter what I care and don't care about on Facebook, because some of it I care about, than you know, what I care about and don't care about on the nightly news. Because most of it I don't. And most of it I can get, you know, they hold the weather forecast till the end. So they, could there be storms coming your way? We'll tell you at the end of tonight's broadcast. You're supposed to sit there through all their dribbling crap when a free iPhone app just goes, nope, no storms. See? They're irrelevant. They're irrelevant, but yet they're still defining you. And you have bosses defining you. You have relatives defining you. You have teachers defining you. You've lived your entire life with other people telling you what you're supposed to do, what your results are supposed to be, and whether you're a success or a failure based on those results. If you want to be a modern survivalist today, right now, this second, you have to say no more. I will define for myself success and failure. I will define for myself my questions, and I will seek the answers and determine what's true based on my own capacity as an individual and an intelligent human being to do so. And therefore, I will live free of being assigned limitations and thought patterns by others. And in doing so, I will be better able to cope with disasters and emergencies and better able to be a fulfilled person in the good times and better able to get back on the path when the momentary bad time pushes me off the path. Not what you expected if you're new to the show, is it? These things are more important than how much stuff's in your cabinet. How you think and what you know and the skills you have and what's in your heart and mind are more important than stuff. All your stuff can be burned, flooded, blown away. 
As long as you're alive, you've got your skills, your knowledge, and your heart. That's what's really important. doesn't mean we don't have the stuff. It means we understand the limitations of the stuff in space, time, and reality. There's only so much stuff we can fit. There's only so much time we have to dedicate, and time also equals money, so there's only so much money. And in reality, it could be lost or limited in its capability. But the human mind is unlimited. There's always a tool, there's always a way. And when you're stranded in a situation, the first thing you need to do is pull away from, okay, the fear has alerted me, just like we started out with. I'm lost. First thing you need to do, Wilderness Survival 101. Stop. Think. What are my tools? What's available to me? What tools do I have? And the human mind is literally unlimited with potential once you allow it to begin to work that way. Next, make lots of friends in your neighborhood. Lots of them. As many as you can. Know everybody by a first name in your neighborhood. Knock on every door. Hey, I live down the road. We've never talked. My name's John. I live down there in that little brown house. Just wanted you to know my name. What's your, you know, I have a couple kids. I get on the book. You know, keep an eye. Hey, do you, do you guys drink beer? Why don't you come over and have a beer with me Friday night? Hey, um, I, I was just in my backyard, and I realized we've never met, and I have a garden, and I've got more tomatoes than I can use right now. Do you guys see tomatoes or peppers? I've got some of both, if you'd like both or one. Okay? Hey, we're having a barbecue. We've realized we've never really met everybody on the block, so we're inviting everybody on Saturday. I, I, you can't come? That's fine. Anyway, my name's John. What's your name? And when you see that person, call them by their name. Hey, Tom. Hey, Fred. How you doing today? Even if it's just that much. You're going to need those people if the shit ever really hits the fan. You're going to need them, whether it's regional or local or global in scope. It won't matter. You cannot de decide, right, who you're going to need. Those people are already in a line. They're already there. Now, if you move, they'll change. But wherever you go, whatever you do, there's certain people that are going to be around you in your sphere of influence in a crisis. And they're what you have. They might not be who you would pick if you're picking teams like when you were back in school. They might be the kid that always got picked last. But they're the ones you get. And being able to hold your neighborhood together in a crisis, in something as mundane as a storm, holding that neighborhood together, making sure everybody's looking out for each other, making sure everybody knows it's, it's these three families that are going to be in the worst state. These people over here have a kid that will die without you know a certain medication. We need to look out for them first. It's knowing that that will hold the neighborhood together. And to know what people need, you have to start out with knowing who they are, at least knowing their names. And a funny thing, people are a lot less likely to victimize somebody if they know them. Now, it doesn't mean there's not a lot of people that are victimized by people they know. But in reality, in a crisis, people want to victimize the faceless, nameless person that they feel must have enough because they have something I need. Communities are based on knowing each other. So make friends with everybody in your neighborhood. Also, please begin a skill set development based on your personal interests. At the beginning of today's show, I mentioned 13skills.com. Great site to keep track of your skill set development. And it doesn't have to always be building a bow drill fire, you know, primitive fire making, or hunting with a spear, or killing animals with a club, or, you know, building a lean to. There's a lot of skills out there that people have lost. Do you know how many people in America today couldn't change the oil in their car if they had to? When I was a kid, you didn't get a car until you knew how to change the oil. In fact, you probably learned how to change the oil before you even thought about getting a car. 
Just because dad was doing it, it seemed like something cool to know. And there were parts of it you wanted to do and you were too little to do them yet, and dad said, I'll show you. You know, and maybe he'd help you do something. Like, we're going to take the filter off and break it loose and keep your hair back so it doesn't get in your hair, son. That's how America was not long ago, 20 years. Today, most people couldn't change their oil. Today, people buy oil changes in advance with the financing on their vehicles. Your grandma would have slapped you in the face. I swear to God, your grandma would have smacked you in the head. You went home and said, Grandma, guess what I did? I bought a new car. How'd you buy it on credit? Yep. Huh? That's what you would have heard. And then you would say, it's even better. I paid for oil changes for five years, and it's on my credit, too. I got it at 3.9% interest. All you would have heard is, the hell's wrong with you? You financed your oil change? Your daddy could have shown you how to do that. I'm not even saying you shouldn't do it. I'm saying at least you should know how. It's okay to have someone change your oil. There's people that can change my oil so cheap today that I generally have it done. Because I can't afford to buy the stuff for the price they'll do it for. And I can drop my car off, run an errand, and come back and pick it up. I understand it, but I know how to do it if I had to. And that's just one thing. We've got to restore America to being a place where people know how to do things. How to can food, how to dehydrate food, how to cook. You know, I was talking about building a fire earlier. Do you know how many people can't build a fire? One day I'm going to do it. I keep threatening. I'm going to do a video on YouTube, how to start a fire. With a lighter. Because I can tell you how many things I've been to, like church functions where people are getting kids together, and a, you know, like a summertime thing with outdoor movies. Like they do like drive-up things. Now people have businesses where basically they do like a drive-in experience, but it's just like set chairs up and all, and guys sitting around a fire bell. Four adult men can't make a fire. Can't make a freaking fire with a match. One guy's going to run in the store and buy a fire log. True story. Don't know how to make a fire. Now, I don't know how to do it with a friction fire. Don't know how to do it with a match or a lighter. Because their parents didn't teach them. Because their parents had a guy to do everything. We've got to rebuild our skills. And do it based on your personal interests. Gardening's a great one. If you have no interest in gardening, don't do it. But you might want to plant a few things. Plant some trees and bushes and stuff like that. And just water it. It won't be perfect, but it'll work and it'll feed you. But don't get into something you don't like just because you think it's important. You know? People get, Jack, why aren't you a ham? Why haven't you got a ham radio license yet? I don't care. I don't care. It's not my thing. I know how it works. I have it. If I need to use it in an emergency, I can use it. I don't care about taking a test. I don't care. I know that you'll be better if you learn. I get that. But I don't. It's not my interest. I got a CB. I've got MERS radios. Right? I can communicate if I need to in a variety of ways. And I can fall back and use that ham technology if I need to, that amateur radio technology if I need to in a crisis. But I don't care about having another piece of paper from the daggone government that says I know how to play with a radio and have a call sign. I know to some of you that's like heresy because you love it. Great. Become experts at it. And in your community, you'll be that person. You'll be the person that can be relied on for that outside communication when it's not available. There's millions of us out there, folks. Not everybody has to do everything. So, yes, improve your skill set. But really work on the things that interest you because they might lead you to passions. They will help you define your dreams, and that will take you back to what we started on, vanquishing fear through knowledge and strength. Simple stuff. If we'll just be human. I want you to understand what I'm talking about today. This is not earth-shattering, groundbreaking stuff. This is behaving like a human being. Modern society has conditioned us to not be human.
That sounds crazy, but it's true. It is not human to drive a long distance in a metal casket with wheels on it every day, risking your life, spending money for the privilege of doing so, to get to a place you don't want to be, to hang out with people you don't want to be with, to do a job that you don't like, to make less money than you're worth, only to turn around and do it again and come home to a house you can't afford, with bills you can't pay, with kids and a spouse that are unhappy because they're doing the same shit in their own microcosm. It's not normal for your kid to go sit still for eight hours a day behind a desk and do what they're told and keep their mouths shut and be given a drug if they don't do it the way they're supposed to. None of that's human. And we do it. And on some levels, we have to do it. But we can do it for a time and a place of our choosing with a goal. And developing your skills so that you are a modern-day Renaissance man. That you're a jack of all trades and a master of none. Right? What I always try to say is I'm a jack of all trades and a master of a few. That's really what I want to be. Because that way I'm always marketable. I can always have tools to further my life and get my family and my community back on its path. That's human. All of this stuff I'm talking about today is actually being human. If it sounds foreign to you, that's just how infected with the madness of modern society you are. And no, I'm not telling you to go get a scythe and a plow horse and become Little House on the Prairie again. I'm saying stay right in all this wonderful marvel that we have. But understand that in some places the statue has clay feet and it will crumble and it will fall. And don't be in the way when it falls and be ready to build a new statue the way that you want it. That's what this is really all about. And for that to happen, the next thing you have to do is something we as Americans have a very, very difficult time doing today. And I would say we in the modern world, but Americans, we have a bigger problem with this than I think even the rest of the developed world does. Except that you are responsible for your own life and permanent victimhood is a choice. Being a victim long term is always a choice. It's never hoisted upon you. Here's what I mean. You're walking down the street. I turn out to not be a nice guy like I claim to be. I'm a jackass. And I come running up on you, and I hit you in the head, and I steal your wallet, and I kick you in the face, right? And then I beat you down to where you actually need hospitalization to recover and get out of the hospital. Okay, in the moment that I've attacked you that you didn't know, and there was no reason for you to expect that that would happen, you are a victim. If six months later, you're still moping around and afraid to go out on the street, to reclaim your life, to build your life. You've chosen permanent victimhood. I am no longer the person that's responsible for your problems. You are. You're responsible for your problems at this point. If you were married to somebody 20 years ago, and you still talk about them today as being part of your problem, you are choosing to be a victim. I don't care what they did 20 years ago. You've had two decades of your life to figure something out. It's now on you. You are a a talented, intelligent being with the capability to define your own life, define your own questions, find your own answers, and seek your own dreams. Therefore, you are a victim by choice, and you are choosing misery over happiness. And I can't tell you why you're doing it. I could talk to individual people at times and dissect it and figure it out like a psychologist and go, you are doing it because, but you know what the answer is? It doesn't really matter why. It just matters that. It just matters that you're doing it. 
If you are going, I hate my job, I hate my life, this all sucks and I'm stuck here, you are a victim by choice. And any other thing that you can think of, there is only an acute period of time that we are victims. Now, if some crazy nut job, there's always the exception, okay? But it's not the rule. See, if some crazy nut job captures you and keeps you in a hole in the ground for 10 years, it is true that in that situation, you're a victim for 10 years. And you might be so traumatized by an experience that bad that even when set free, you might remain a victim of the experience. Okay? Now, here's the thing. <laughs> If you claim to be a victim of something that's nothing like that at all, it's disrespectful to the true victims of things like that. It's like claiming to be a hero and win a medal in battle that you didn't win. It's disrespectful to all the people that actually made a sacrifice and did it. It works both ways, on the negative and the positive. It devalues the true meaning of a person that was truly victimized when you act like a victim and you're not. When you have the ability, when you have the ability to stand up and act and fix it and you don't, you are, you are living in a way that demeans those who truly can't. And the thing is, Some of them that even think they can't. Some of them that even you would look at and say, well, I agree, they are still a victim. Some of them, if the lesser victim would stand up and just be successful, would figure out they can too. And they would shed off that victimhood. I don't mean to put down anybody that's truly been traumatized or injured or hurt. Okay, But we all know the guy that was blown up in battle lost his legs and could be a victim for life but strapped on the prosthesis and a year later ran a marathon. And if he can do it, what's your excuse? What's your excuse for living life in a way that makes you miserable, that makes you unhappy, and pretending to be a victim because I didn't really realize I was going to have $50,000 in student loan debt when I came out of this? Tough. You did it. It's a stupid tax. Pay it off. And don't let your kids fall into the same trap. I see parents that are still paying off their student loan debt at a point where their kids are about to go into school, telling me how bad it is, and yet advising their children that it's still the best course of action. What the hell is wrong with you? What the hell is wrong with you if you're doing that? Mired in credit card debt on top of it, and telling her kids, go ahead and get a credit card, Johnny, so you can start building your credit like Daddy did. Right? That's chosen victimhood. That's chosen victimhood. And anything else you can think of, except right now you're responsible for your own life. They should have taught you that in kindergarten. But instead, we stopped keeping score of soccer games for kindergartners. Instead of teaching them they were responsible for their own life. It doesn't have to be that way. You can blame society for not teaching you that, or you can go, you know what, I'm a full-grown, realized human being, and I'm not going to be a dumbass anymore, and I'm just going to accept this. And I'm not going to go, my mommy this and my daddy that and sit on a couch with a therapist for the next 10 years of my life to figure out I need to kick myself in the ass and stand up. I'm just going to do it. That's what we need to be doing, folks. Now I'm going to follow that up by sharing something with you that it's going to be very hard for you to believe. Because every bit of modern society that's trying to sell the beauty and the dream and the lie that is collectivism has worked since you were a child to drum it out of you. It's okay. It's okay to be concerned with what you want for yourself. It's okay. Absolutely okay 
to be what modern society has defined as selfish because it's the most selfless thing that you can do. You have to value yourself as much as others value you. Stay alive and happy for others. You have to value yourself. I, I see this in the father that says, I would die for my children. Great. Would you live for them? Would you please live for them? You can talk about dying for them, and I have no doubt if it came down to it and you had to risk your life for them, you would, because I would for my own son. I know what you mean. But it's, it, that's a noble thought. How about the noble action of living for your family, living for your community, living for yourself? Live for yourself. Oh, God, that's terrible. I can't believe he said that. No, you do need to live for yourself. You will be the best husband or wife when you are truly happy with who you are as a person. And you'll never be as good as you could be until you are. Sacrifice in the way that it's being sold to you today is a lie. And it's a thief. It's a thief. Staying at a job you hate because you're one of the good ones is dumb. It sucks your soul. It destroys what makes you special and who you really are. It destroys your ability to be all that you can really be in life. Choosing to work another hour every day instead of choosing to pursue a passion that will lead you to a better way of life robs you of the opportunity to eventually influence others and help them break a cycle as well. All of these things that we've been convinced are selfish, are actually selfless. I'm going to give you a fundamental reality. For most people, if God appeared before them and said, I command that you, my child, be happy all the days of your life. And I command that you do this above all things. Wouldn't know what the hell to do. The same person that if you said to him, if God commanded you to suffer, would you do so willingly? Yes. If God commanded you to lay down your life, would you do so? Yes. If God commanded that you be happy, what would you do? Most people fall silent. This is from the work of a guy named Richard Bach in a book called Illusions. That may or not be, may or may or not, may or may not be something you'll be comfortable reading depending on your religious persuasions because it's pretty much a, a deist work. It's really not about any organized faith or religion. It's just a hypothetical what if scenario. But that theme is in there. As is a book, a master's handbook that whenever you need an answer, you open it and you find the answer you need for the time being. And one of the sayings that's in that master's handbook is the best way to avoid responsibilities is to say, I've got responsibilities. Ponder that, please. Saying, well, I can't find a new job. This one pays the bills and I've got responsibilities is a great way to avoid the, the true deeper responsibility of being who you really are and the best you can be at that. See, because that's why I said earlier, you're responsible for your own life. See, when you try to be happy and you take away all the excuses about sacrifice and needs of others, boy, that freaking accept that you're responsible for your own life that I just threw at you that you didn't really like, now it's a freaking, not even a two by four, it's a freaking oak four by four right between the freaking eyes. I can't tell you how many people I've said, if you were commanded by God, your version of God, and you believed it to be happy, What would you do? 
say, I don't have any idea. And one thing I can say for the people that say that, at least they're honest. They don't try to make some shit up, pull it out of their ass, and say, well, I think I would do this. or I did. No, what would you do? You have no excuse. God told you to do it. Now be happy. You know damn well you can't just sit there and go, well, I will be happy, <clears throat> and just force it. You know? You can't just force it. It's not like the old Chicago try before a road trip where you just force it, right? It, it doesn't, happiness and love, even anger and hatred and pain, none of them work that way. They are, they are states of being. You can't just will them. You can fake it for a little while. You can convince yourself you're in pain or you can convince yourself you're happy. But eventually it's just a hologram that wears off. So you have to value yourself so much that you're willing to make yourself happy. Do you want your child to be happy? Okay. Do you want your spouse to be happy? Do you want the people that you love and care for to have the things that they want in life? Value yourself simply as much as you value them. That's all I'm saying. Again, I'll say it to you. If you'd say, I'll die for my family, I'll die for my wife, I'll die for my husband, I'll die for my children, I'll die for whoever... Great, noble sentiment. Now live for them. Now live for them. And you live for them by also living for yourself. And your highest capability, your highest resilience. See, self-reliance is a virtue. Self-sufficiency is a virtue. Being able to take care of yourself is a virtue. Because you can't take care of others until you can stand up and take care of yourself. And if the government's doing for you, doing it for you, you can trick yourself into believing you're doing it yourself, but you're really not. And you're probably not happy. Even if at times you have times where you feel happy in your heart, in your soul, you're probably not happy. You're probably not. And you can trick yourself But the drug addict smiles too when the needle goes in. He's not happy. He's just temporarily relieved from the pain. That's the life most of us are in today. And it all started when we divorced ourselves from being responsible for ourselves. If you're not responsible for yourself to eat tomorrow, how responsible are you really going to be to be happy tomorrow? Think about that, please. I know that this might seem a little bit ethereal here, but God, this is important stuff, folks. All of the things we do, the mechanical process by which we become prepared, all go down to us being happy, fulfilled individuals that can look after ourselves, our families, and our communities. And we can't do that. We can't do that until we can first stand on our own as an individual. Then and only then can we be strong For the group. See, modern society has flipped that upside down. You must first be an integral cog in the group. You must first put everybody else before your own needs. And then you will find fulfillment. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's used to sell you a bill of goods to sell out your individual sovereignty and liberty. First, you must be able to stand and care for yourself and be strong for yourself and know what you want and be willing to acquire it. And then, and only then, can you help others do the same. We can either all exist or we can all thrive.
I choose to thrive. I'm asking you to make the same choice. The next thing, if you must lead your family in this, if you must decide, you know what, I'm going to put the water away. I'm going to buy the extra food. I'm going to make sure we have a means of defense. I'm going to make sure we have a documentation package. I'm going to make sure everybody has a bug out bag. I'm just going to do it. You know what, my wife or my husband is just not on board yet. I'm just going to do it. Then do so. But be damn nice about it. And, and, and make me a promise. When the lights go out, you pull out all the stuff out of the blackout kit and everything's better than it was and, and it was so easy and it was so organized and so ready to go, do not say I told you so. If you ever find yourself thinking about telling your spouse or a significant other or a friend or a family member, I told you so, stop yourself. And just make some bullshit up. Ask them what they think about a sports team. Change the subject because it's not going to go well. And everything you've accomplished at that point will be undone and worse. Trust me, when you turn the lights back on with the generator or when everybody is eating spoiled food out of the refrigerator and you're doing well cooking on the grill, the people around you know. They don't need to be, have it. They might, and they might not yet be ready to admit it. But let it go. It's gone in. The seed is planted. It will grow. If you have to step up and lead your family, just do it, but be nice about it. Don't not do it because they're not on board. Because now that you know, you will regret it. Your wife comes home and says, I lost my job, and you did nothing to eliminate the debt. You will regret it. And that's one you kind of got to do together. You kind of got to do together. But start out the conversation with, this is what I'm willing to give up. And even if you don't give up anything, I'm going to give up this, and I'm going to start working on paying down our debt, honey. I'd love it if you'd do something too, but I'm doing this, and I'm going to start working on it. And I'm going to ask you to stop spending money we don't have. But if you don't want to give anything up toward the payoff yet, that's fine. I'm just going to do it. That's one thing you really have to have a conversation with. But most of this other stuff you don't. You want to buy two extra cans of tomatoes this week? I guarantee you, your spouse isn't going to have a clue. The damn pantry will be full before they figure it out. Just do it. You go out and buy a couple uh, emergency lights, a couple extra flashlights, some rechargeable batteries, put together a backup power system. Hey, I'm just tinkering in the shed, okay? But don't sit and do nothing now that you know the truth, now that you know what's really out there. Prioritize, and there's no, there's nothing stronger than a family united in this. But sometimes one or the other, and it happens with men and women both, has to lead. The consequences of inaction are too severe to sit there and be inactive. Just don't try to beat them over the head with it. Don't try to drag them along the way. Just get busy living a better life for yourself, defining your own things that make you happy, being a better husband or wife, and being a leader in the family by acting. Leaders don't talk. They do. So you can sit there and go, we need to put water aside. 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 You can fill a bottle And then go get another one from the neighbor or the, the, the or friend or family member that still drinks the fructose corn syrup crap if you don't, and do it again and do it again and do it again. And when they start saying, there's a little bit too many bottles here, do something else for a while. Sooner or later, this stuff always pays off. Put it in place and be prepared. Which leads me to my next thing. The best way to convince others is by success, not incessant evangelism. You know? Continuously telling somebody about a problem doesn't really fix it. Fixing the problem in your own life and living life in an empowered way, the shining light methodology, that works. 
When people come to you, man, I got wiped out. You know, God, the stock market dropped like 300 points yesterday, man. My, my portfolio took a hit, and you go, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I wasn't even paying attention, and I'm set up in a way that that doesn't happen to me anymore. I'm having trouble paying the bills. We don't have a lot of bills. Man, you know, the county said we have to boil the water. Now, here's a bottle. Here's a bottle, Tom. We keep plenty of bottled water around all the time. Well, this was an Arizona iced tea thing. Yeah, it holds a gallon versus the 12 ounces you get in one of them Dasani things down the road. So, yeah, we, we do that. It's just, if you need some more, let me know. I've got more. I've got more, Tom. Gee, you're happy all the time. Yeah, I, I quit my job. What do you do now? This is what I do now. Why are you doing that? That's what I like. You know, telling people all of the things that are wrong is like fear. That's why I'm doing some of it today. I'm going to awaken you. But if you tune in tomorrow, now there won't be a show tomorrow. I'm still on the road. If you tune in on Wednesday, you're not going to hear more of what's wrong. You're going to hear a lot more about what's right and, and actions you can take and things that you can do. And you might listen to this show for six months and you might hear, hear a hundred things you could do. And only 20 of them might resonate with you. Great, do those. It'll improve your life. Do the ones that work for you. You might find yourself coming back to some of the other ones later and saying, now I'm going to do that now. That works. I'm going to do that. But if you want to convince somebody of anything, do it by action. Do it by success. Right? That's what sells. Success stories sell. Every widget and system and item, whether they're true or not, they come with a bunch of success stories to get you to buy them. I have family members back when I was getting started, not just with this, with my career and everything else. I married into this family where, you know, everybody was a professional. Everybody went to college. I was some kid from the coal, coal region, out of the military, just trying to figure out what to do in life. And I would have all these great stories about what we were going to do. And nobody was mean. Nobody was hateful. But you could tell. You could see the eye roll. You could see the, you could see the, yeah, right? You could see that doesn't work. You could see it. And now these same family members, they stand and they look at what we've done. And they want to know, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you do this? How do you do that? And I'll answer every one of those questions in the order they come in. And I will not try to force all the other stuff that they're not ready for yet down on. But success has done this. A lot of the stuff I want to do as far as preparedness, folks, my own wife. I think we have enough of that now. Okay, I just let it go. Right? And I just wouldn't buy any more of that for a while, and I'd start buying it again. So she'd catch on. Right? But a lot of the things I would sit down and talk to her about, the vaccines, she's a nurse, giving them. Wasn't ready to accept it yet, because she's in the middle of the system. I let it go. But even just the economy, what's going on with the economy? You know? But you know what? When it, when it caved in, and we didn't take it in the face, all of a sudden I, I bought some street cred there with my own wife. And then when she's like, you're doing this survival podcast thing? How many people listen to it now? Oh, like 2,000. Oh. And I'm doing these other things on the internet. She's think, probably thinking, why aren't you doing this? Or why aren't you doing that? Or why aren't you putting more into your main business at that point? And they just keep doing it. Well, how many people listen now? Like 20,000. We have like eight sponsors now. We have this membership thing. And I'm going to open that next week. And all of a sudden we had, you know, a secondary income source. It starts to grow. And you start to realize if we just take this and run with it, it will become... Everything that we do will be based on this. This will become our main business. And when that happened, like she's like, well, you must know what you're talking about. She didn't say it that way. But you could feel the dynamic change in the household. Well, if that many people are listening to him, maybe I should too, even though he's my own husband, and I should have been anyway. 
Don't think that like I have this magic credibility with my family and my wife and everything. I had to earn it just like you're going to have to. And you don't have to go out and have a, you know, a podcast with 70, 80,000 people listening to it to be successful. You just have to be successful as a person. Let me tell you something. When you're happy, when you're truly happy, you are like a magnet to other individuals. They want to know what's going on. I have people say, you know, people that don't know anything about my professional life, whatever the hell you're on, I'd like, a, I'd like some doses of it. Or I've had people say stuff like, I'd like to drink a quarter of your blood. Right? It's a joke, right? They don't really, they're not vampires or anything, but they just like, you know, what, what the hell do you have going on? That you're always excited, you're always happy, right? It's like I'm never unhappy. The human body is going to have times where we're in pain or times where we're not. But overall, I'm an intrinsically happy, optimistic person. I'm a guy that spends my life researching the worst things that can happen to society on a daily basis. And yet I'm extremely optimistic and happy. I'm not crazy. I just know the first rule. The only purpose of fear is to awaken us. That's it. Once we have been awakened, then we have the power to react and to fix the problems, if not for everybody, in our own lives. And that makes me extremely optimistic because no matter what I find out about, I think, you know what? As long as the asteroid doesn't land on my head or my house while I'm inside it, I'm going to be okay. Instead of, I'll just pretend everything's okay, but in my heart I'll know it's not. That's how the average person's living today. This is my last one for you guys today. This is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. When something goes wrong for someone you know, be the first responder. We talk about first responders like police, paramedics, and firefighters all the time. And I don't mean in any way to take away from the value of what they bring and what they do. But the first responder, whenever possible, should always be you. Even if that person had a professional first responder, person's rushed to the hospital, right? That's the job of paramedics and EMTs. But as soon as you find out, you should be the first one at their bedside and saying, what can I do for you? Because sometimes they don't really need a visitor. What they need is somebody to go back to their house when their kids get home from school and say, mom's okay. She's in the hospital. She can't talk right now, but she's going to be okay. And just to know that, 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 that the kids know that she's okay. You never know what it is. Sometimes a family just needs somebody maybe to bring a meal by every evening for two or three days in a row while they're dealing with a crisis. Not even because they don't have food or money, but because they just don't have time or energy because whatever happened is so much of a blow to the heart. You know, when I was a kid, I remember like if something would go wrong in the household that wasn't a big deal, my grandmother would be like, don't tell anybody. And you're like, well, what, are you embarrassed? No, the people will show up with food. We don't need that. So it was like a fear, like unless there was actually something really wrong where it was actually necessary, like there'd be more help than we could stand. Like we're going to have all this stuff and we're not going to know what because everybody's just going to bring us something to eat. I'm serious. You know, that's what it was, right? Something went wrong. Yeah, you baked a casserole and took it over that way. And it was like, you know, if it was a minor problem, you didn't want anybody doing that. So that's what we used to be. And that, guys, that's 20 years ago. And that's how we need to be again. Be the first responder. When the neighborhood gets hit by a storm and you've figured out that your kids are okay, your wife's okay, your house isn't going to fall down, maybe there's some stuff leaking, maybe throw a tarp on the roof or what have you, you get the generator running, the next thing you should be doing is knocking on the neighbor's door. Hey, are you guys okay? Do you need anything? Can I help you? All right, everybody's okay? Next door. The next door. The next door. The next door. The next door. You know what? Those minor crises... Where you're that person, people are going to remember, no, they're not going to come take your stuff. They're going to have your back. 
always be the first responder. When anybody you know is in need, be there first. Be a good citizen. We have a saying on the show for those new to it, every citizen a sentinel. There's an old saying, every citizen a soldier, harkens back to Spartan Republic. They're professional soldiers, but in the end, every citizen would stand up and be a soldier if necessary. Well, not everybody can be a soldier. A soldier requires a commitment and a certain level of capability to be a soldier. And even when it was said, it meant, you know, able-bodied males generally is what it really meant. But everybody can be a sentinel. A sentinel could be a soldier, but it may not be. A soldier is a soldier, but a sentinel is simply one who stands watch. And we can all stand watch. We can all stand watch over our fellow citizens. And one way to do that is to be the first responder, to be the guy that goes door to door. Is there anything you need? Now, the person might say, I need a million dollars. Well, you're on your own then, Frank. Can't do that for you. But if it's something you can help with and it's reasonable and it's not going to put your own family in a danger, be there for your community. Be there for your family. Be there for your friends. Be there for your spouse. Your family members shouldn't be leaning on someone else if they haven't leaned on you first. And your community members shouldn't be leaning on someone else if they haven't leaned on all the members of the community together first. We should start with solving our own problems, yes. But we should also start with solving the problems in our backyard. Modern survivalism is a willingness to solve those problems when they become acute. And a plan to prevent them from becoming acute as often as possible. Simply living in a way that our grandparents lived that most of this country lived not that long ago. It's a better way to do this. Hell, we even wrote a song about it. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget are what we eat I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess when we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
Revolution.